Let us our open let us open our Bibles and turn to Ephesians five, chapter fifth chapter five, verse fifteen and sixteen. I'll be reading from the New King's Standard no New King James Version. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. I'm sure you've all heard the story, but that never stopped me, of the man who... uh, preached for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning on the subject of Samson, preached what he considered to be an eloquent and powerful lesson. On his way home, his wife said, so who were you talking about this morning? He said, Samson, what do you mean? She said, why did you call him Tarzan? (laughs) And I say that to let you know that every time this morning I said, Rachel, please, in your minds and in your notes, substitute Rebecca. I knew better, but uh, anyway... It it came out that way. So I appreciate the people who call that to my attention. Depending on whose grading sheet that you were looking at, I said that uh, either twice or 17 times. I'm not sure. But uh, And and to quote my friend Gabe Brenneman, uh, that was both hilarious and a bit annoying. (laughs) So so there's a, a little damage control. In this series on choices, I, I feel it incumbent upon on me uh, to present at least one lesson about the use of our time. Someone has said that life, that time is the stuff of which life is made, and that really is true. If you think about it, it's the building blocks of life. And you also consider the biblical record. You know that many, many times in both Old and New Testament, the subject of time, the fleeting nature of time. And our use of time is discussed. I remember the psalmist said, uh, Lord, help us to consider our days that I may know how frail I am. The consideration of days is simply a reflection upon the brevity of time, I think, and the importance of using the limited amount of time that we have while we're on this planet in a wise, judicious, and godly way. Much of Jane's time, and I call her Jane because that's her name, Much of her time is spent as a wife and mother. She finds herself from her waking moment till the time she pillows her head at night very much involved with the complicated matter of being both a wife and mother. And then you add to that the fact that she has an eight-hour-a-day job outside the home. Some of you can, can relate to what she is going through. And she once confessed, and I'm quoting now, I'm frustrated by my lack of time for church activities. It's impossible for me to find the time necessary even to build solid relationships in the church. And some of you know what that's like as well. Jane's dilemma, I think, is one that multitudes of Christians face, both men and women. And I hear a lot of sincere people make statements like, I would really like to get more involved down at church, but I just don't have the time. And so having heard that for many, many years and having heard it over and over again, and sometimes I have to say I've even made that statement myself about certain activities, if we mean time isn't available to us for unimportant activities, 
because we're using that time for really important endeavors, then we're certainly making a valid point. But if we mean we don't have time for important matters, because we've committed our time to those things that don't really matter all that much, then we may need to reevaluate our commitments and, and our priorities. And that's a part of what we're going to do tonight. It's my intention to kind of set the foundation for us by talking about and, and reminding us of, I'm sure, of what you already know, and that is the extreme value of our time. But I, I want to be even more practical than that because, again, we would all walk away saying, well, I already knew that when I came in here. I, I want to give you eight things tonight, hopefully in a very practical way, that will help you to maximize the use of your time, to use your time wisely, and to do exactly what Paul said in our text, and that is to redeem the time, buy up every opportunity because the days are evil. So Paul wrote to the Ephesians about these matters. In fact, you'll notice how he began that statement in verse 15 by saying, be very careful then how you live. I think that's certainly consistent with the quote that I mentioned a moment ago about time is the stuff of which life is made. So Paul says, be very careful how you live. That is, give attention not only to each year, but also to each day and each moment in your life. The needs of our world dictate that, that we do that, that we take very seriously the disbursement of our allotted 24 hours a day. And wise management of our time is nothing more than just making the most of every opportunity just the way Paul instructed. But when we're doing that, when we're building this foundation for knowing how and then being willing to actuate what we know about the use of our time, it all begins with making sure that we keep our priorities in the right place. Because everybody has the same amount of time. It's how we choose, and I'm emphasizing the word choose there, how we choose to use each moment of our days that demonstrates what our priorities really are. And we may say that our priorities are one thing. In reality, the use of our time dictates something else entirely. Someone has said, and I've mentioned a number of times, that I can pretty much look at a person's checkbook and know what their priorities in life are. That is what you're spending your money on. Well, tonight we're looking at what are you spending your time on. That also is a very clear indicator of where your priorities lie. So all of us have 24 hours a day. I actually sat down with a calculator and figured all this out. So trust me on it. we got 24 hours a day. And that, of course, is seven days out of the week, and that's 168 hours during a week if you want to break all of that down into an hourly increment. And, and the real challenge is for us to, to use that time wisely, use that in a way that would honor and glorify God, and also to, to look at the negative side of the coin for just a moment to make sure that we're not wasting our time that we're just frittering the moments of our lives away in, in things that don't really matter and that have no eternal value whatsoever. I guarantee you that, and I don't mean this to be unkind, but the people in the world are doing that. And, and God's people, we've been called to a higher calling. We are the called out ones. We are the ecclesia. And so we need to reflect that even in the use of our time, whether you're a student whether you've been holding a job down for a long, long time, whether you're retired, doesn't matter. All of these things apply each, to each of us, I think, with equal impact. And, but circumstances can, can force us into certain time molds. And I know that you know that that's true. You've seen that in your own life. And that is as it should be. For example, it's right that a man should spend time supporting himself and his family. There's Bible for that. 
And if you haven't looked at it lately, you might want to look at, and especially the men, the husbands, the fathers, at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If you haven't read that recently, here's how that passage reads. Paul wrote, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. And that's pretty strong language. Paul's saying, you want to know what's worse than someone who just says, I don't believe in God at all, and I certainly don't believe that Jesus is his son, that God became flesh and dwelt among if, if There's only one thing worse than that. And that's a man that won't step up and do his his, his, and fulfill his responsibilities in providing for those of his own family. So Paul then later wrote to the Thessalonians and said something in a more generic way. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 and 12, if you want to look at that. Here's what he wrote. Aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded, that you may walk properly to those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Paul here is also talking about the assumption of responsibilities as well as the proper use of our time. I know I can relate to it. I think back over the span of, of my life and, and my life with Mia and how that we raised four kids. And, and, and you don't have to explain to me what it's like for mom and dad to, you know, try to get your kids to, to, to ball practice, to games, uh, to piano lessons, to skate night, to PTA, to church activities. And, and, and you folks who are parents right now, you can know that you can make that, that list of things that your kids are involved in almost infinitely long besides your own list of responsibilities. And it's not unusual for mothers and fathers to find themselves forced into time molds created by their children's interests as well as, as a lot of other circumstances of which life is made. The fact remains, though, that most of us generally decide, watch that carefully, we still get to decide how a great deal of our time is going to be used. And I know that when you are a, you know, when you're a taxi company and you're, you're getting our, your kids to one place or the other or getting them back home and all the other things that go with living life, you may not feel like you have very much uh, disposable time, but you do. You've got some time and you get to choose how you're going to use that time. Making the most of every opportunity, Paul says, comes down to keeping our priorities in the right order and making sure that with all the things that we're involved in and all the time usage compartments that we're looking at and evaluating in our life and our time use that we, that we make sure that we are keeping the main thing the main thing. Think about it like this. God created man and he also created time. And it's only proper that we allow God to be the one to tell us, man, how we ought to use our time. And he has done that throughout his, his book. There are certain actions that God expects of us. How do you know that, Randy? Well, because he's told us so. And those expectations, by the way, are not optional. God says, I expect you to be involved in these things. I expect you to stay away from certain things. But again, there are things that God says that as a child of God, he expects each of us to be a part of, to participate in on a regular and sometimes on a daily basis. For example, God has instructed us to worship with other Christians. And that's why Hebrews 10, 24, 25 is still in the Bible. He's instructed us to pray. In fact, he said pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 and we know that doesn't mean that you go around constantly in prayer because otherwise you'd bump into things. But it does mean that we 
Never let there be a time in our lives when we are not praying people. Prayer is a regular, consistent part of our lives. That's what Paul is communicating. He told us that we have a responsibility and a privilege to make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples, Matthew 28, 19, and a number of other things that are going to require a good portion of our time if we, if we have accepted the mantle and the identity of being children of God. So I'm just saying I, I think that priorities are best set when we have an open Bible in one hand and a daily planner in the other. Or however it is that you organize the days of your life, if you're not organizing and giving thought to the order of your priorities at all, then this lesson really is for you. But I think it's for all of us in the sense that we all wrestle with the same thing. How am I going to use the 168 hours that I have in each week? It's only right then to schedule everything else around that which God requires of us. And I think that's also a part of what Jesus meant in Matthew 6.33 when he said, You seek keep first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these material things will be added into you. And so while we may be inundated and overwhelmed with the responsibilities that we have in our jobs and with the other activities of life, Jesus said, Just remember, your responsibility is to always seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first in your lives. I've made this observation before, but I'm going to hit it again because space repetition is the way we learn. And that is the problem with some of us isn't that we aren't seeking the kingdom of God. It is that we are not seeking it first. And so we cannot compartmentalize our lives and say, well, I, you know, I did my thing. I, had, I put in four hours of church this week and I fulfill my responsibility. No, it's, it's, it's a lot deeper and richer there's more texture to seeking first the kingdom of God than just that. So the trap to avoid is that of investing our, our time, our days, our moments in, in so many activities that have, that have no bearing for us or for others for eternity. If we really are seeking those things which are above, then it's going to make a difference. It's going to reflect in how we use our time. An occasional time study can be helpful. Here's what I mean by that. Keeping records of how you use your time for a particular period of time may show you that your priorities are not what you thought they were. Again, if you, if you look at your checkbook, you might be surprised, you might be really concerned to see how you're spending your money. If you really look closely, and, and the same is true when we look at our calendars and we look at our, our watches or our phones and, and we see how we're, where we're using our time. It may also reveal to us, again, that, that our priorities are, are a lot different than, than, we, than we imagined them to be when we first started that time study. Now, that doesn't mean, and, and I hope you don't go away from this thinking that I'm saying that you don't ever take any time for relaxation for regulation for relaxation or recreation there's the word i was looking for recreation and that you don't take time as jesus did quiet time that you might be able to reconstitute yourself psychologically and physically for the task at hand but god does require that there be certain activities on your schedule and folks we're we're wise to honor god's expectations first so we put what he has said needs to to be necessary activities in our lives, we put that at the top of the list. Now, I enjoy sports, and sports can be worthwhile, but we, but we dare not allow them to so distract us that they keep us from serving the Lord. 
And, and I don't know how many times over my decades of preaching I've talked to otherwise well-meaning people who've allowed sports, whether it's their own participation in sports or just watching somebody else play a particular game, to keep them from doing things or being a part of church activities and, and doing the things and pursuing the spiritual things that they ought to be pursuing as the number one priority in their lives. You know, clubs and, and community organizations are worthwhile. And the people who, who constitute those, who, who head those, are certainly appreciative of your participation and your activity. And, and, and all of that is appreciated. But folks, they do not deserve top spot in our list of priorities. Vocational advancement is a worthy pursuit, but it's possible for ambition to get in the way of our call to discipleship. I can find out very quickly if I'm a workaholic by just doing that kind of time study that we talked about a moment ago. So it's possible to love God and at the same time to lose blessings. I mean real blessings and to fail to appreciate what discipleship is all about because we do not love God the very most and that's what I'm pleading for you, whether you're still in college, whether you are out on the job force, whether you are looking backward over in your rearview mirror and, and saying, I'm, I'm glad to be retired and I'm glad that my work days are over. However it is, whatever amount of time that you have to use, to use that judiciously and in a way that God would approve. And, and getting and keeping priorities straight is really a critical part of using our time wisely. You know, it's possible, though, to have our priorities right and, and still fail. And that can happen if we don't practice some sound principles for making the most of our time. So here we are to the eight quick things. I'm Obviously, with eight, I'm going to just touch on each of them briefly. But I wanted to end this by talking about some practical ways to use uh, our time wisely, to make sure that we're doing that, to be able to kind of, uh, in an empirical way, to make sure that we are... Uh, we can look and we can say, here, I know that I'm using my time more wisely than I did this time last year. Because unfortunately, just, you know, complaining, trust me, I know this from personal experience, complaining about a lack of time will not get you more time. And it will not help you use the time you have more wisely. So it, it's those things that we actually organize, those who actually organize their time who, who get the most out of every day. So here's some suggestions about how we can get the most out of our 24 hours a day. Number one, and, and, and this, there's a reason why this is number one, because it's number one. It ought to be the very top thing on our list, and that is to spend time each day with God. Your, your devotional life, your quiet time, whatever you want to call it. We need to make sure that our relationship with God is not only healthy, but that it's growing we need God's help to get us, help us to get the most out of each day. And so that's the way to, the best way to begin a day. Spending some time with God every day helps us to put things in proper perspective. I think that you'll find that the more you're into God's word and the more that your prayer, prayer life flourishes, the more you will be able to see with clarity what your priorities ought to be and also how that you ought to use your time. It gives us the strength to accomplish the maximum amount, the potential amount that we can each day. And so spending some time in communion with God each day will give us both purpose and direction. Spend some time with God every day. That is not wasted time. It may well be the most valuable time that you will spend all day long. So let me ask you, do you have a quiet time?
Number two, organizing time on a weekly basis can be helpful. Some folks have found that it is uh, very helpful for them to divide each day in, of the week into three slots. Now, you stick with me for a moment because this is incredibly complicated. I'm being facetious. The three slots are morning, afternoon, and evening. Have I lost anyone? And so what they do at the beginning of each week is to look at their week in those 21 compartments. And, and then schedule all the activities that they have planned for that week. And, of course, some things are going to be unplanned and they'll have to be put in later. But as best you can, you, you put everything into one of those 21 compartments each week. On Monday morning, they, they look at every anticipated activity and put it in a slot. And then they schedule the most difficult jobs early in the week. Listen carefully to this because this is important. They will often schedule the most difficult of those jobs or assignments or responsibilities early in the week because they don't want to have to spend the whole week dreading those things, knowing that I have saved the hardest thing toward the end. Of, no, you do those hardest things first, and then you'll find your week goes a lot better. The Chinese have a saying, if you've got to swallow two frogs, swallow the big one first. That just means take care of the hardest job first, accept the, first, the hardest assignment first, and get that out of the way. So a schedule like that can help to eliminate wasted time that that can come from, from jump, jumping from one job to the other. It also cuts down on time use in trying to decide what it is that you want to do with each day. You've already got that charted in front of you. You know, some people prefer even simplifying that process, and I've been doing this for years, to just begin each day with a to-do list. And then on that to-do list, whatever it is that you've got to do on Monday morning or Monday afternoon as well and for the rest of the day, you just put that on your to-do list. And then you rank those in order of importance. Here, number one, I'm going to put the most important thing that I did, what's most urgent, what's most important, and I'll, I'll rank those. And even if you're not, watch this carefully, if you're not able to go through and finish that list, you can still pillow your head that night knowing that you worked on the most important things on your schedule. Third, time management experts tell us that we ought to plan jobs that require the greatest mental effort at the time when we are at our mental peak. So I'm saying that the schedule needs to be flexible in the sense that you need to know who you are and know you, when you are at your strength or at your weakest points in the day. So for some folks, that would be early in the morning. You know, they're, they're early people. And for others, their peak would be later at night. Now, this is more about me than you want to know, but... I can remember when I was in college, my dad, it also coincided with the time when my father was in, in preaching school, and he would, he would constantly tell me, Randy, you need to be getting up early in the morning because that's when you're freshest, the mind is fresh, you know, it's unmarked by the activities of the day, so get up early in the morning and do your studying then. I tried that, and for seven days in a row, I woke up with my face planted in my textbook. I, I, could not, I could not even maintain consciousness as early in the morning as my dad was suggesting. I wasn't a morning person at that time. I was an evening person. And when I was at my mental peak is when my dad was going to bed, you know. So it, it depends on who you are and, and what your, your capabilities are. Fourth, we can also get more out of the time by eliminating wasted motion. 
We do that by arranging our schedule so as we can cut down on the time required from, of going from one task to another. Here's what I mean by that. Stopping by the grocery store when you're on the way home from, from bringing your, your son home from basketball practice is going to save some time because you're making one trip instead of two, those kinds of things. Number, number five, keeping good records can also help us save time. When we organize uh, especially our personal papers, when we, when we organize them properly, we don't lose valuable time looking for you know, that receipt or that record or whatever it is when, when we need it the most. That's true in record keeping, but it's also true in other things as well. And uh, I, I don't want to turn this into just a symposium on where to keep your car keys, but uh, keeping your car keys in a consistent place, guess what, will keep you from having to look for your lost car keys every time you want to go someplace. So those kinds of simple things. Number six, we can make the most of our time by using small blocks of time that are traditionally wasted. This always, I'm sure, in any kind of time management study, needs to be on the list somewhere. Are there, are there just 15 minutes a day that, that you are not using right now, just 15 minutes a day that you could use for some beneficial spiritual activity if so if you just take 15 minutes out of your day then guess what you've gained 90 hours that year that you could use for the lord whether that's in reading your bible or in prayer life or whatever and and, and that's more than two work weeks folks and yet we think well 15 minutes a day that's nothing well it is if you learn how to use that time constructively. So that's just what we're talking about. Using your downtime constructively. And that also can mean that, you know, while you're waiting in the doctor's office. Or even while you're sitting at the 1.7 million traffic lights on Atlanta Highway. Or wherever. If you've got some moments and you use those moments wisely. Even if it's just for a prayer. Then you'll find your, your, your spiritual life rejuvenated and going in the right direction. Seventh, learning to say no may sometimes be a step in the right direction in terms of the wise use of our time. Almost everybody in today's fast-moving world has to contend with unrealistic demands that are made upon their time. So it's not you using your time in an unwise fashion. It is the demands that other people are making upon your time. I remember reading back in January, I actually wrote this down so I could share this. Well, I don't know if you can archive this and find this or not. Well, there was an excellent article in Reader's Digest in, in January of 1993 that's called Nice Ways to Say No. And, and I found that information very helpful. In fact, almost revolutionary. Many people have no idea that they can do without us. And our concern for making the most of our time makes it necessary, you know, to, to evaluate all those demands that people are making on our time very carefully and learn how to say no to some of them. And that may be the, I may be talking to some of you tonight. There may be people in the audience who don't know how to say, no, I can't do that. Or no, I don't have the time or I have something else scheduled. Eighth and finally, building on the work of others is another way to save time. As the old saying goes, we don't need to reinvent the wheel every time we have a task to perform. And so we, if we can benefit from the research and, and, and the wisdom of other people, it will help us to be able to maximize our own time usage. A speaker I once heard said, I know a man who said, I will be original or nothing. And sure enough, that's what he was, nothing. And that same speaker said, and I'm quoting now, I'm convinced after my death, they'll hang a portrait over the copier machine at my alma mater as a memorial to me. That's because he spent a lot of time at the copier machine. 
That is, he was using the research that others had already done to help him in his own line of studies. Now, plagiarism obviously is not acceptable, but building on the foundation of the knowledge that others have discovered and recorded, that just makes good sense. Or as the proverb goes, I will stand on any man's shoulders if it will help me see farther. Ted Ingstrom tells a story during his seminars that I think put time management into proper perspective. Ted talks about a fellow that he knew by the name of Bob that attended a time management seminar, came back home. He was all excited about what he had learned, and he was ready to put that to work. And so he bought a, he bought a stopwatch, and he used it, among other things, to time his wife making breakfast. Don't get ahead of me. And afterward, he said to her, after he had put the stopwatch on her, Honey, you took eight and a half minutes to pre- prepare breakfast, and I can show you how to do it in six minutes. Good news is the breakfast is now being prepared in six minutes. Bad news is Bob's the one doing the cooking. You know, it's possible to become so rigid in our, in our efforts to use our time wisely that we can offend people. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about telling people, hey, I have no time for you, either verbally or non-verbally. Not at all. Poor relationships can only hinder our attempts to accomplish more with our lives. And and I think that Paul had that in mind, or the Holy Spirit had that in mind, when he inspired Paul to write our text about redeeming the time, using up every opportunity because the days are evil. That may, in fact, be one of the things that he had in mind when he wrote in uh, Colossians 4 and verse 5, walk in wisdom. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Walk in wisdom toward those who are without, those who are outside. And then he says, redeeming the time. So when, we're, when we are using our time wisely, let's do that in the context of understanding that that we live within the context of a church, a community, and a world of people. And I need to be aware of their needs and not just what I put on my time schedule. So let's suppose that we put to work in our lives some principles that will enable us to use our extra time. The question is, what am, I, what am I going to do with that time? Most of us, and, and I think that's why we're here tonight, we want to invest that in something that will matter for eternity. Do we filter our extra time through the poet's test? The poet who said, only one life, it soon will be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And that's right. Remember, folks, that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I hope tonight that that you are here because of that kind of spiritual awareness and spiritual sensitivity. If you're not a child of God tonight, we're going to use a little bit of our time to sing a song to encourage you to make this the moment in your life that uh, Malcolm Gladwell calls it the tipping point, the defining moment in your life when you become a child of God. When you say, my life is going to change today, January 25th, whatever it is, it's going to change today for the better. Because today is the day that I've decided to turn my life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you do that through your faith prompting you to repent of all your past sins, confess Jesus as God's son, and to be baptized to have your sins washed away. And if that's what you need to do tonight, we bid you come while we stand, while we sing.